everyone, welcome back to Chronicles of Curiosity. My name is Mason, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Katie. This week, we're finally finally covering a topic that many of you have suggested, sort of. Um, we're finally covering a cryptid. Oh. Yeah. But before we get into that, is there anything you've been curious about this week? I've just been thinking about Taylor Swift this week. Yeah. Um, earlier, I was asking you about her album, her new album that comes out in July, Speak Now, Taylor's version, which I'm really very excited about. Um, yeah, I'm just excited. I'm just trying to guess what changes she might make and what songs she's releasing from the vault. So is this um, like a full-on like modern recreation of the album, or is so, she actually adding new songs? So she re-records all of the original songs from the album, um, and they just tend to sound a little bit more mature because her voice has changed since then. Mm. Um, I don't remember what year Speak Now was released, but she was 18 when she wrote it, and she's now 30, 31? Something like that, yeah. 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 Um, so it just kind of has a, a slightly refreshed take on the original song. It's still the same song. Um, she doesn't typically change any lyrics unless something needs to be changed. But yeah, um, it's and then exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and then I think there's going to be five songs quote from the vault, oh. which is just songs that she wrote and possibly recorded for the album, but didn't end up putting on the official cut. Uh, so Dolly Parton does that all the time. Yeah. She said that she had, like, over a thousand songs ready to go and be released after she passes away. Wow. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. Taylor's huh. thinking ahead. Yep. Yeah. She's always thinking ahead. Yeah, she, she's it's... an awesome businesswoman, too. Yes. Like, yes. people talk about her music, but you don't get to be that big mm-hmm. unless you have a good sense of yourself and your production and all yeah. that. I mean, it, her tour, the Eras tour, mm-hmm. is that the, like the highest? I, I, I have no idea. I might be speaking Yeah, I don't ass, know the statistics of... I've, I keep seeing things about how much money it's bringing in. It's like mm. $700 million, I think, Jeez. that the tour is, is expected to bring in like That's before crazy. its conclusion. And there's only how many shows? There's only a handful of shows. It's not like... I don't know. I mean, she said quite a few already. I'm not really sure of the full, full um, spectrum of the tour itself. Mm-hmm. All I know is I'm extremely jealous that I did not get tickets to this particular show. Three years ago? Yeah, some people we know are, had have, have gotten tickets. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how are mm-hmm. you guys? That's crazy. Because the first thing that I, the only reason that I knew she was going on tour to begin with was like, what was it, six months ago, five months ago when Ticketmaster had all that. Yep. All that stuff come like on about them, how they were, thing. they were like tacking on ridiculous fees. Mm-hmm. So that's like kind of how I found out that she was going on tour. Yeah. And then um, I think I, I think it was just like a TikTok live or something mm-hmm. that I was scrolling on and I saw that she was doing her opening show, I think in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she just puts on a great show. She does. Yeah. She does. And it's crazy. Yeah. She's only 30 and she's already at the point where she can pull from like collections of songs Mm -hmm. you know but i guess it helps that she's kind of gone through different genres of music too. Mm -hmm. yeah which i think is kind of cool that she's been able to and similarly miley cyrus has kind of been able to do that where she started out like pretty pretty pop Mm -hmm. i feel like she had a little sprinkling of country flavor in there because she grew Mm -hmm. up in like tennessee or something yeah and i mean her dad Mm -hmm. and now she's i feel like she's really leaned leaned into the like rock era mm-hmm. i love that for yeah. her i think that really suits her voice yeah i think that's like 
ultimately where she was destined to end up because mm-hmm. the pop she didn't like it because it was so i mean it was all the stuff surrounding disney channel too like yeah. uh, censorship and, and that sort of thing but and then country never really suited her i don't think but yeah yeah that's for yeah. her to her to know and us to not find out well maybe find out true who yeah, knows she's public about Whatever it life takes her yeah anyway uh have you been curious about anything this week yes i have mm-hmm. um i was reading an article earlier uh about a Heinz remix. Are you familiar with the Heinz remix? What are you saying? Heinz, like the ketchup brand. Oh. Uh, ha- is coming out with a condiment machine. You, uh, you, Of course, you're familiar with the Coca-Cola freestyle machines. That's exactly what I imagined. Well, it's exactly it. So Heinz... That's a lot the, of power to the sauce. Yeah, the ketchup brand. Oh, well, okay, so this is why I'm talking about this. I love... Sauce, barbecue sauce. He's a sauce. sauce bitch. I think that every food is only improved with a good sauce. And I know that will upset a lot of uh, like good barbecue lovers. And mm-hmm. I love barbecue and I love really good steak and mm-hmm. meats and that sort of thing. Uh, and I like, you know, of course, good food in general. Who doesn't? Um, but I think a sauce can take any food to the next level. And yeah. I, th- I thought that was the norm to think that growing oh, up. Oh, no. But then, yeah, when I got older, I realized just tons of people, like more than half like probably the majority mm-hmm. of people think that putting sauce on things kind of ruins it oh i do feel that way sometimes we, yeah. we've had many a little little bickering over um like completely harmless but just like bickering over sauces because you want me to try a sauce because you think it makes the thing better and i'm like i don't feel like it needs the sauce yeah it happened at dinner yeah. today it did it did it did we were having gyoza yes yeah anyway so the the heinz remix um there are four and i'm just going off of memory here there's four base sauces there's ketchup there's ranch there's barbecue sauce and then there's heinz 57 which is like kind of like a steak sauce i guess okay I, i've never tried Ma- it. they're not using mayo as one of the base sauces no mayo is not one of the base sauces um wow. I, don't, I don't really know why that I feel is like ranch is a really weird choice for a base yeah it's interesting like right? there's it's a strong it's a strong flavor by itself like if you do ranch and then you add like soy sauce and a bunch of other random shit people are gonna know that it started as ranch yeah yeah. There is no hiding the ranchness of it. Well, so I was wondering, like... Okay. There's no hiding that valley. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Um, oh, I was wondering how uh, they would be able to, like, fit. So there's there's only those four bases. So, okay. like, if you want something else, you're kind of out of luck. Like, if you want soy sauce, then you got to do it yourself. Okay. But there are uh, multiple different... They call them, like, flavor profiles that you can add in. Yes. So if most people have tried, like hickory barbecue sauce uh-huh like hickory smoked or yeah but what if you want like what what if you want chipotle ketchup or one of the things isn't that, that basically just sriracha yeah no there's other stuff going on sriracha is pepper i think it's like mm. a pureed pepper but um they were the article was saying that people around the heinz probably corporate office mm-hmm. were testing the machine out and one of the favorite things that they had tested out just internally was uh, mango ketchup Mm-mm. was like one of the top uh-uh. things yeah like mango i don't know what the flavor like it tested well yeah like everybody that liked it like as they were just kind of casually going through testing different ones what would you dip that in dip in that i guess like french fries and I, I don't know maybe uh, no not fish that's not right that but. sounds bad so, anyway so the heinz remix I'm really excited for different restaurants to get that. They said, like, by the end of the year, they'll start rolling them out. Mm. Um, and I can see, like, little, like, hipstery independent restaurants getting mm-hmm. them first, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
wherever you're listening from, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have something in mind for a restaurant like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but then I, like Katie, connected it immediately to the Coca-Cola freestyle machine. Mm-hmm. And that got me thinking, I don't, I have no idea how these work. And every time I go, seriously, every time I go to a place that has a Coca-Cola freestyle machine, mm-hmm. I always think, oh, I want to look up like a YouTube video or one on Google how this actually works because it seems crazy that mm-hmm. you have that many options. Yeah. Super simple. You have your base soda options. So like if it's Coke, you know, if, if it's Coke freestyle, they have pure regular Coke syrup, mm-hmm. just like a normal dispenser, like anywhere else has. Okay. Um, but, and then on top of that, they have like six or eight flavors and it's really not many. It's only a couple. So like they'll advertise uh, vanilla Coke in mm-hmm. the freestyle machine, but it's not, it's Coke with vanilla syrup added to it which actually that makes sense because i think when you use one of the freestyle machines and you like make your concoction then you push the button to dispense it you can see like a couple different streams of things coming together into the cup yep yep so you have um the carbonated water of course and there's just co2 tanks converting water from the wall like from a pipe in the wall nobody cares about this this is but i actually am quite interested uh and then the little flavor uh, droplets. Um, the reason why Coca-Cola was able to kind of create this machine when they were, like the reason they didn't do it sooner is because they were able, food scientists were able to pack like the flavor down into like a tiny, tiny concentrated drop. Mm. So like, it's like a teaspoon of flavoring that actually goes in your drink to make a full, like large soda taste the way it does. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's just a couple and they advertise like a hundred different combinations or whatnot, but it's really simple because you have like you know, eight base flavors, Mm -hmm. and then you have eight more flavors, and then those just kind of compound on each other. Right, right. Um, So it's not as magical as I hoped it would be. But I also found out, do you know why Coca-Cola has these machines? Do you know why they push them to so many restaurants? No. Um, I actually never thought of that. The machines are really expensive, and and I'm pretty sure, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure Coca-Cola actually fronts a portion of the cost for the restaurants. Like, they're not making huge profit off of these machines. The reason they push them so much is because they collect all the data from every soda or what, you know, whatever, lemonade or whatever you're making. Yeah. Uh, They collect all that data. And then they use that to figure out what products they should release as, like, legit releases. I wonder if that's where, like, this weird-ass Dr. Pepper, strawberries and cream, and Dr. Pepper and cream soda. Yeah, probably. I mean, Dr. Pepper seems to be doing some weird things. Yeah, it's probably, like, people putting, like, lots of people putting vanilla flavoring in Dr. Pepper. And they're like, hey, this works. We should make this a thing. Is that what cream soda is? Is just vanilla flavored? Yeah, there's no, like, what is cream? I mean, cream is just vanilla. Yeah. Never really thought about it. I guess not. Yeah. I know. Well, it's like things like this. You don't. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. You don't don't connect the dots, but it makes so much sense when I found out that uh, that Coke uses that data because uh, cherry vanilla Coke was never a flavor. It was things that people were making on their own. Yeah. And it slaps. Yeah. Same with orange Coke. Because they made it now. Right? They make it now? Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. And. Hallucinating. I don't know this for a fact. This is conspiracy theory of mine, but I think Coke might sell this data to other companies that use the machine unless all the drinks like all the drink brands in the machine are all owned by coke already i would say probably how else are they going to be in a coca-cola machine you know they've got to have some type of contract or like treaty if you will yeah it's true because i guess that's why like when you go to a restaurant ask for coke or pepsi they only have one yeah yeah all right so 15 minutes of 
nonsense. Soda machine talk. And Taylor later. Swift discussion. Yeah. Let's uh, get into the actual topic. This yeah, week. cryptid. What uh, what cryptid are we discussing today? We are discussing the Yeti. But hold oh. on, before we get into that, I'd just like to remind everyone to follow us on social media. Oh, at yeah. Chronicles of Curiosity podcast on Instagram and Chronicles of Curiosity pod on TikTok, if you haven't already. Um, also, please consider uh, sharing us with people you know, if you enjoy the yeah, show, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're enjoying listening to it um, and you have other weird, spooky people who you think would like it as well, friends, whatever, mm-hmm. family, uh, let them know. Share the yep. link. Share with your fellow weirdos. That is absolutely the best compliment you can give somebody, whether it's, yes. you know, they own a small business or they own a restaurant or, or whatnot, is just sharing word of mouth. So yeah, that's we, huge. Whenever someone, like, even just a family member or, like, a just, what is the word I'm looking for? Not acquaintance. A, a thank you. Yeah. I knew it started with an A. Just, like, a family member or acquaintance or anything like that just says, like, oh, we've been listening to your podcast. We really like it. Like, that is huge to us because we're just sitting here in our office having a good time. Yeah. Talking about things that interest us. Yeah, things and that. And the fact that people like to listen to our bullshit is really cool. So, yeah. thank you. And we, we really do appreciate it. So. Yeah. Uh, with that out of the way, let's get into the Yeti. Out of the way. Yeah. They sound like way. work. I'm talking about the soda machine. Out of the way. Oh. Um, so I'm assuming most of you know what the Yeti is. I'm not going to be talking about the overpriced coolers. I'm talking <laughs> about the cryptid. Okay. Even if you don't know the lore surrounding the creature, uh, you probably at least have some preconceived ideas based on like media or books you've read or, or TV shows, popular culture, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, But this week, we wanted to get into the true origins of the legend and what the people of the Himalayas believed, and in some cases still believe. And we also finally wanted to get to how the legend has changed and kind of been influenced over time. Okay, yeah. To kind of give us what what we know of today as the Yeti, like a scene in Monsters, Inc. I was going to say, that's like the only thing I'm picturing is from Monsters, Inc., the guy that makes them snow cones. Well, it's not super far off, um, but... But he's so nice. I always have... What's the actor that has his... That does the Yeti's voice in Monsters, Inc.? Isn't it the same... It's ingrained into my brain. Yeah, it's the same actor that does the voice of um, the Mack truck from Cars. Yes. And also... Oh, man, we're going to... I got to look that up. messages for not knowing, but... Um, No, I'm going to look it up. John Ratzenberger. That's the one. Oh, I would not have guessed that. No, and looking at him, he doesn't look like he sounds like... What? Yeah. I was kind of picturing like a Patton Oswalt looking guy. Look up a picture of this guy. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Of which one? John Ratzenberger? Yeah, yeah. Yep, John Ratzenberger. He also did the voice of Ham, the pig in Toy Story. Yep, I knew he was in Toy Story, but I couldn't remember what character he played. He also did the voice of John from WALL-E, which I believe was the captain of the ship. Mm, yeah. I think. Maybe. I don't I haven't seen Wally in forever. Yeah. And I didn't know anybody really had names in Wally besides Wally yeah. and Eve Eva. That? Eva. Well it's Eve, but uh Wally calls her Eva. Okay. Well That's the cutest freaking movie. It's a good movie. A lot of people put it at the top of their um Pixar movie mm-hmm. list. Yeah. I mean it makes you it makes you think, it makes you feel a lot of feelings. Yeah. So does Inside Out. That's a yeah. that's a that's a good one. Yeah. Talk about feelings, but yeah. Anyway, okay. So, the Yeti, more commonly known as the Abominable, I do that again. (laughs) Abominable Snowman is a mythical cryptid uh, that is said to inhabit the Himalayan regions of Nepal, Bhutan, Tibet, and China. Mm. Uh, It's described as a large ape-like creature that's covered in white or brownish fur with a height of around six to eight feet. So that's a big. 
It's a big boy. Six to eight feet. Yeah. So like I said, probably pretty close to what uh, you were um, picturing in your mind, mm-hmm, like from mm-hmm. the description. Um, also, as a side note, there are a couple of words that I cannot say. Mm-hmm. And abominable. I sound appears to be one of them when I say it, <laughs> but I'm not, and I, I promise. Um, that's one of them. The other one is rural. Oh Lord, yeah, that one gets us every time. Both of us. Yeah, I'm not even gonna try. I'm not gonna embarrass myself like that right now. But because of that, I'm just gonna be referring to the creature as the Yeti. I'm not gonna be calling it the other thing <laughs> from this point say on. It now. No, I'm not even gonna say it. Uh, so let's start in Nepal. So the Yeti is known as the Meta or Zuda. And is considered a sacred animal by the local Sherpa people. So it's not actually considered a cryptid or what we would consider to be a cryptid. It's, they consider it to be an animal, just like any other animal. What? Okay. Um, I had never heard of the Sherpa people before, so I started researching them you know, while doing this episode. Um, but basically, they are a group of people living in the mountains of Nepal, uh, specifically the Himalayas. Uh, they're mostly Buddhist, and they have their own culture that's like distinct from the rest of Nepal because they're so isolated by the mountains. Um, what the Sherpa people are most known for is their mountain climbing skills. Yeah, I believe it, living in the freaking Himalayas. Yeah, yep. Uh, so, you know, like you said, they're they're in the mountains, the tallest mountain range, or the some of the mountains that are contained within the, the mountain range or the tallest. Mm-hmm. So obviously they have to have some sort of climbing skills. Yes. Um, but within the communities, it's something that's taught from a very young age, like how to traverse the mountains and more importantly, how to do it safely. Okay. Uh, side note, the word Sherpa to refer to someone carrying things for someone else is derived from this group. You've heard, you've heard the term Sherpa, like, oh, they're my Sherpa. No, really? Really? Oh, well, it's a word. It's pretty, it's a pretty common word. Uh- this this is embarrassing. This whole time I've been just thinking about the fur, fuzzy blankets. Oh no, no! I didn't, I, I didn't the realize. The blankets probably have something to do with like what the Sherpa people yeah. wore, like maybe like um, lamb wool or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I'm learning a lot today. Yeah. So many Sherpa people, um, because they're so good at uh, climbing, they make their living by carrying the baggage of wealthier people um, trying to climb Mount Everest. Mm, Uh, So they also serve as guides for climbing tours. Um, Because of this, some of the more famous Sherpa people have summited Mount Everest more than 20 times. Um, A man named Rami Kita, or excuse me, Rami Rita Sherpa, holds the world record for the most number of summits at 26 ascents. That's crazy. Like, that's bonkers to me. What in the world? You have people, I mean, like, here in the Western world, doing it once is considered to be, like, the one that's of the biggest big achievements. This guy's done it 26 times. Oh, that's 50, just another Wednesday at this point. Yeah, exactly. He's 52, and he says he not, doesn't have plans to stopping. You know, he's just going to keep does going. Does he have, like, a routine of when he does it, or just whenever the vibes tell him to go climb the mountain? Well, the vibes are probably very wealthy, Men from Europe and America who who want to who want to climb mm. and are willing to pay a lot for the hmm. best because okay. I mean clearly he is the best. I mean yeah, if you climb Mount Everest twenty six times, you're doing something right. Yeah, I'd say you're pretty good at it. Yeah, so the origin of Yeti folklore in Nepal is difficult to pinpoint. Uh, it's been passed down through oral traditions for generations, so it's very hard to figure out exactly when the first accounts popped up. Uh, they they really don't have any written records. The only written records they have are things related to religion and government, mm. which this doesn't necessarily for Nepalese people doesn't 
necessarily fit into either of those categories. It's more folklore tradition. Okay. Um, so the first Western knowledge of the Yeti came from the explorers in the 19th century. So when they started to arrive, obviously they were like, hey, these people have this crazy cryptid, this crazy creature that they describe seeing like all the time. Mm-hmm. We got to write this down. Uh, so naturally that got people interested in it. It's It was much more common for the Sherpa people to pass down folklore or legend orally. So they, yes. they really just wouldn't write it down. Okay. Uh, certain groups of the religion in the Sherpa community, uh, they do worship the Yeti as a oh. spiritual being. Oh. Yeah. So hmm. I know they said they don't really consider it religious, but it's not connected to a religion in the same way like Christianity or Catholicism or, hmm. you know, Hinduism. They don't connect it necessarily in the same way. Uh, it's more, it's it's a presence that's felt, but it's not part of a, an active written religion. Okay. So without getting too deep into it, the religion of the Yeti with these people, they did believe that the Yeti could serve as a protector against evil spirits. There's okay. also quite a few stories depicting the creature as a guardian or mentor to religious figures. That's um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So like classical religious figures to the Nepalese, <laughs> some of them are related to the Yeti. How about that? Uh, think of somebody getting lost in the mountains during a blizzard and a Yeti guiding like a person out and then they become a religious icon. Like that sort oh, of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I understand. So the beliefs of the Tibetan people surrounding the Yeti uh, tend to be pretty similar uh, with a key difference being that they see the creature as more of a spiritual being, whereas the Nepalese tend to believe it's more of a physical being. Okay. Uh, the Yeti was first introduced really into the Western world in the 19th century when Western explorers began to venture into the remote regions of the Himalayas. Uh, one of the earliest accounts of the Yeti came from British Lieutenant Colonel Charles Howard Burry, which is a mm. very British sounding name. Yes, it is. Uh, he led a team of mountaineers to Mount Everest in 1921. During the expedition, Howard Burry reported seeing large footprints in the snow that he believed to be those of the Yeti. Okay. However, it was not until the 1950s that the Yeti became widely known to the West, specifically America. It became popular due to, in part, a series of high-profile expeditions and sightings in the Himalayas. In 1951, Mm -hmm. British explorer Eric Shipton took photographs of mysterious footprints in the snow that he believed uh, were from the Yeti. Okay. They were later published in a newspaper, and it was like very. It was a very early version of going viral because oh. it spread across the world. Oh, that's cool. So the articles would spark a huge interest in the Yeti, uh, which would really peak in the 1950s. Around this time, there would be a ton of books, articles, TV shows, movies, you name it, about the creature. So it really was a pop culture icon for a number of years in the 50s. Okay. It's kind of hard for us to put ourselves back there because we didn't live in the 50s, but it was. So in 1954, the Daily Mail newspaper in London published a sensational story claiming that it had obtained a sample of Yeti fur from a British mountaineer named Tom Stobard. Uh, yeah, and this is the same daily news that covers, like, celebrity gossip now. Yeah. It's the same daily news. Or, okay. excuse me, not daily news. Daily Mail. Daily Mail. Daily okay. Mail newspaper. At the time, it was just a newspaper. Now it's who knows Website, what. Website, Website, yeah. So according to this Daily Mail article, uh, Stobert had collected the fur during an expedition to the Himalayas and had sent it to the Natural History Museum in London for analysis. 
The article claimed that the fur had been examined by experts who determined that it was unlike any known animal fur and that it belonged to an unknown primate species. Yeah. So, obviously, the story set off a wave of excitement among the public, the media, and also other scientists because they're like, hey, wait, what? Something new? Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, And it led to a renewed interest in the search for the Yeti. Mm -hmm. So, again, this was 1954. Mm -hmm. I always like when... You know, they find a sample of something and it's actually something new. And it's not like, oh, it was actually just a dog. Well, the thing is, you always see those um, articles about like, oh, new species or all yeah, this great stuff. But they never show the follow-up where the scientists realize that, oh, yeah, it was just like Tom had some fur on his shoe. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. what they collected. But it's sad when that happens. Like, I like I like new and interesting things. Yeah. Well, there's new and interesting things out there. It's just you have to look for them. Mm. That's philosophical. Yeah. So anyway, the story was very quickly debunked. It was revealed that the, quote, Yeti fur was actually nothing more than the fur of a common Himalayan goat known oh, as a Sarah. Yeah. So the fur had been collected by Stobert. That part was true. But he never actually claimed that it was from the Yeti. The Daily Mail had apparently completely added that just to make it more sensational. Oh, my they, goodness. Yeah. They probably didn't think that it was going to blow up as much as it did. So I want to know that editor... Uh, who made up the story when he saw that like the newspaper was spreading across the country and then yep. across the continent? He was probably like, "Oh no!" Yep. Like, man. Although it was probably bringing in a good amount of like revenue and attention because clickbait. True. Yeah, so. he was probably promoted. Right, it's possible. Yeah, he's actually running the Kim Kardashian wing of Daily Mail Shut today. Up. It's amazing. Shut up. <laughs> uh, so I just quickly wanted to highlight some other notable expeditions that were sent out specifically in the search of the Yeti. I'm not talking about just normal surveying operations like in the Himalayas. Uh, In 1960, Sir Edmund Hillary, the famous mountaineer and explorer who had been the first person to successfully summit Mount Everest in 1953, so seven years earlier, uh, he led an expedition to search for the Yeti in the Himalayas. The expedition, which was sponsored by the World Book Encyclopedia Company, which just they made encyclopedias. Okay. Uh, was conducted in the region around the Baran Valley in eastern Nepal. Uh, the team included mountaineers, scientists, and other experts, and was equipped with specialized technology and equipment to aid in their search. They had to look up what specialized Yeti hunting equipment was. Yeah. And I was really disappointed. Oh. Yeah. It's ba- they basically were referring to walkie-talkies, high-powered binoculars, and, and good camera equipment. Okay. That was their hunt- their Yeti hunting right. tech. I thought it was going to be like modern ghost hunting, you know, where they have like the puck and they have EMF detectors mm-hmm. and a handful of other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But it was it's not, sadly. During the expedition, the team found several sets of footprints that they believed to be from the Yeti, as well as several hair samples that were sent for analysis. However, the team did not encounter the creature itself and ultimately returned without definitive proof uh, of its existence. Okay. The footprints and hair samples came back inconclusive. And that's a theme that we'll see pop up. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, that that kind of is good, right? That it's inconclusive. It means that they don't really know what it's from. True, yeah. Yeah, if they, if they can't identify it, it doesn't, you know, of course, it doesn't mean that it's from a Yeti, but it could be from something else that's interesting. Yeah, exactly. And the last the last sighting and the last expedition that I wanted to, to look at here um, was from an Italian mountaineer named Reinhold Messner or Mesner. So in 1986, Mesner claimed to have seen a Yeti while he was solo climbing in the Himalayas. He reported seeing a large 
dark humanoid figure walking on two legs, which he estimated to be around seven to eight feet tall. Mm. He claimed that the creature was walking away from him and disappeared into the mist before he could really get a close look or take a picture. Okay. Uh, but his first encounter, Messner's first encounter with the Yeti was not the first time he had been interested in the creature. He had previously conducted several expeditions to search for evidence, uh, including one in 1981 where he and his brother discovered pr- footprints that they believed to be from the creature. Okay. And the reason I wanted to mention Mesner specifically uh, is because he's one of the few explorers that had been critical of Western interest in the Yeti. So he argued that the creature is part of the traditional folklore of the local Sherpa people and should be respected. Uh, he's also criticized attempts to capture or kill the creature for scientific Ooh. study, which is the, the aim, the goal of certain oh. expeditions. Oh, no, I don't really want that. No, no. So he argued that those actions would be disre- uh, disrespectful and potentially harmful to the local culture, mm-hmm. which, you know, I agree yes. with. Yeah, of course, of yeah. course. So he was an enthusiast, but... Not a disruptive enthusiast, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Respectful enthusiast. Yeah. He had boundaries. He knew the, the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so at this point in my research, I had read, read like a ton of accounts of, you know, claims for the existence of the Yeti. Uh, but that got me wondering how scientists and biologists view the creature. You were, you were kind of asking about that off air to me earlier. Yes, yes. Yeah. And what I found wasn't too surprising. So the scientific community generally views the legend of the Yeti as a cultural phenomenon and part of a folklore, rather than solid evidence that there's actually an unknown species. Okay. There's no conclusive evidence to support the existence of a large bipedal ape-like creature in the Himalayas. Um, But while there have been many reported sightings, uh, there has been no physical evidence. Scientists are looking for like a body or a skeletal remains. Yeah. Something that can be definitively linked to the creature. Right. Um, Hair samples and other biological evidence that have been collected and analyzed have shown to belong to known species, um, just like the goat we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Other animals include like bears and other small mammals, rodents, things like that, Mm -hmm. that people find. Yeah. So they they have been able to link most of the fur that that has been collected. To something. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Many scientists believe that the Yeti legend is based on a a combination of misidentifications of other animals, cultural traditions, and a human tendency to see patterns and connections where they do not exist, which Mm. is the broad dismissal of paranormal from the scientific community. Oh. Generally. I mean, is it not? Oh, yeah. Think about, like, aerial phenomenon and things like that. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. Um, With that being said... I did find some instances where scientists have expressed genuine interest in uh, investigating reports of the Yeti. So in 2013, so we're getting more, a lot more recent here, a team of researchers from Oxford University analyzed hair samples that they believed to be from the Yeti. Uh, the team used DNA sequencing to compare the hair samples to a database of known animals and found that these samples were most likely from bears. Oh. Uh, sorry, guys. Darn. Uh, While they did not find any evidence of a large bipedal ape-like creature, they did identify several previously unknown species of mammals. Okay, I'll give you that. That's still pretty cool. Yeah, that's a big deal. Mammals, you know, there there aren't many undiscovered mammals out there, at least that we know of. Like insects, maybe fish, definitely. Yeah. But not many mammals. Hmm. 
So most scientists admit that the Himalayan region is one of the most difficult places in the world to conduct studies. And most say it's the third most difficult place, only behind the deepest points of the ocean and the densest portions of the Amazon rainforest. Mm -hmm. Um, Because of this, there's likely to be many unknown native creatures, insects, and plants in the area that won't be discovered even now for a long time. Yeah, I kind of wondered about that. Yeah. So Hmm. at this point, I wanted to do a thought experiment with myself while I was researching this. Uh, I assumed in my mind that the Yeti was a real undiscovered creature. Mm -hmm. If that's true, then what actually is it? Like, what what would it be? So I did find some popular theories on on what it could be, assuming, again, assuming that it's real, Mm -hmm. doing, you know, an experiment, thought experiment. One possibility is that it is a new or undiscovered primate species. I've already mentioned that. Okay. Um, they think it's it would probably be closest related to the orangutan or the giant panda. Oh, I didn't think about the giant panda. Yeah. 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 Okay. So native to this portion of the world. Yeah. Or maybe some undiscovered yeah. panda, type of panda. Um, for scientists, this I mean, this would almost be as exciting as discovering an actual cryptid since there's so few new species of large mammals that yeah. have been discovered, especially in recent years. Uh, another theory is that the Yeti could be a population of a, an existing species of primate, such as an ape type of ape or monkey, uh, that has adapted to life in the high-altitude rugged terrain of the Himalayas. Uh, so some scientists suggest that the creature may be a type of langur, which is a long-tailed primate that's already native to that region. Oh, okay. And All I had right. to look up what a langur was, uh, and it's uh, it it looks like a monkey and a lemur. Is combined. it small? Because that's what I'm picturing. They're relatively small. Yeah. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. I Google recommended I look up baby langurs, and they are so cute. Is that what you were showing me the other day? Yeah, yeah, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I was showing you a baby langur, and they're, yeah, they're, they're really adorable. Cute. So I recommend, highly recommend that. Yeah, I recommend you look them up. Uh, the last possibility is that the Yeti may not be a primate at all, but rather a large unknown species of bear. That's exactly what I've been thinking this whole time. Yeah. Okay. So the Himalayan region is home to a few species of bears, including the uh, Asian black bear and mm. the common brown bear. Uh, it is possible if not likely, that an undiscovered species could be living in the region. Yeah. To me, that sounds the most likely because of the size of it. You know, like everyone... Yeah. Bears are not small. No, bears are big. And especially, I mean, bears can walk on two legs. Exactly. That too. Yeah. So that's kind of the running theory here. There's no polar bears in the Himalayas. So that is kind of off the table. Okay. But something similar to that could be the explanation. Uh, so that pretty much brings us up to speed on the Yeti, its history, and its and our current best guesses at what the creature could be if real. So out of all the cryptids, I honestly think this one has the best chance of being discovered in our lifetime. Yeah. Uh, or at least an explanation as to what all these people have been seeing throughout the years. Uh, but before we go here today, I wanted to tell you about one very spooky story surrounding the Yeti. Hit me with it. So this story comes from the account of a group of Japanese mountain climbers in 1974. Okay. All right. Cue the creepy, ominous music. <laughs> in the remote mountains of the Szechuan province of China, a group of brave climbers set out to conquer the peak of a treacherous mountain. A law among the climbers was the renowned mountaineer and photographer Miyacho Wantabi, Spirits were high, however, their adventure would soon take a terrifying turn. Okay. As the climbers set up camp on their first night, 
they began to hear eerie cries and screams emanating from the darkness. They shrugged it off as sounds of the wind, or possibly sounds of the wildlife, but as the night wore on, the sounds grew louder and more unsettling. The next morning, the climbers found something chilling in the snow, large footprints, unlike any they had ever seen before. The prints were enormous with a strange shape that seemed almost human-like. The climbers knew immediately that something or someone was out there in the wilderness with them. As they continued their ascent, the climbers saw something move in the distance. At first, they thought it was just an animal, but as it came closer, they realized that it was no ordinary creature. The being was massive, with shaggy hair covering its body and a face that resembled that of a human. Its arms were long, and its fingers were like claws. The climbers froze in fear as the creature approached them, but it did not attack. Instead, it simply stared at them with small black eyes before disappearing back into the wilderness. The climbers continued their journey, but the sense of unease only grew stronger. One in their group went missing, and after an extensive search, he could not be found. Weeks later, his body was discovered with injuries and mutilations that could only have been caused by an, a large unknown animal. And at that moment, the climbers knew that they had come face to face with the legendary Yeti, a creature that was said to haunt the highest peaks of the world. And they knew that it was not a creature to be taken lightly. Ooh. That's a real story. That was a good story. Thank you. Yeah. Jeez. I wanted to take a, a moment here to mention some of the sources I used for this episode. Uh, we have Earth is the Himalayan Yeti, a Real Animal by Lucy Jones of the BBC, The Sherpa and the Snowman by Charles Stoner, Unknown Hominids and New World Legends by Basil Kirtley, and lastly, Science and the Paranormal Probing the Existence of the Supernatural by George Ogden Abel. Thank you. Uh, and that's going to do it. For this week's episode, everybody, we appreciate everyone listening. Yeah, um, be sure to follow us. Fun to learn about. Yeah, be sure to spot, uh, follow us on Spotify or Apple if you want to hear us fumble over our words more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we would appreciate it. Do you have anything to add before we go? No, no. All right. Thank you for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.